0: Welcome to the podcast from The Temple.
1: I'm Rabbi Peter Berg,
0: And I'm Rabbi Lauren filson lapitas
1: This episode is brought to you by The Temple, Atlanta's oldest and youngest synagogue.
0: Peter, I was just at a meeting about our virtual quorum celebrations and As we've started to realize, Purim was our last big community event before the pandemic hit. So we're coming up on some big milestones.
1: By like a second, like there were cases in the US but not in Atlanta yet, but we were, that was the last public. uh...
0: It was, I still remember waking up at some point in the middle of the night after that Purim spiel and all I could picture were all the hands that had touched the donut wall yeah. And like I was picturing all the people sitting together, and and just had this panic of like, what if somebody had COVID, even though it was still seemingly far away, the uh, the I image, where we are.
1: The image of a donut wall right now is just is just <laughs> a
0: popcorn bar or a buffet.
1: <laughs> what was once so exciting and delicious is just revolting right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, remember like. All of our porch fields also, we have like that curtain. So like all the clergy and staff are like huddled in this small, like six by six space.
1: Well, I, I know all the staff members at Temple who have like, you know, little hidden candy dishes and I have not dipped into those bowls in, in a year. Yeah,
0: <laughs> although I'm pretty sure I saw you eating some chocolate before we started. So I think you were making your own. <laughs>
1: my own, I have to bring my own now. <laughs> I love
0: candy dishes. It's so true. I mean, there's, there's things that, um, there's so much that has changed, and and part of why we're reflecting on it is because the theme of this week's uh, podcast is how our community during COVID is being served by Jewish Family and Career Services, and um, you know the need in our community is so great, and it's changing as we come upon this this one year of the pandemic.
1: Yeah, some of our earliest podcasts were about COVID, uh, and at the time, you know, we were just we were just learning about it, we we didn't know much and we didn't know how necessarily we were gonna serve our community, but uh, the Jewish Family and Career Service um, uh, you know, has really been instrumental in partnering with us and so many other organizations in, in um, helping us navigate and get through this pandemic.
0: I've had several conversations where I think we're starting to realize that as the pandemic eases, whether it ever fully goes away or not, there is going to be more trauma than we've perhaps given credit for happening, you know it's not like all of a sudden our kids go back into school and normal activities or kids go back to college or we all suddenly just start doing things without feeling um, some deep scarves from this time. Absolutely. And as we're going to hear in our conversation with Terry there's a lot of work ahead for the mental health repair and healing for our Community.
1: Absolutely, there is, and I hope our listeners will pay attention to, to some of the uh, ways that she offers ass- assistance through the through the organization. Because, um, whether a teenager or an older adult, um, uh, so many people right now struggling with mental illness. Um, our community has these really important resources, and a leader who is uh, you know really. Uh, jumping out into the abyss to, to help us navigate.
0: And it's worth saying before we turn to our interview, as a reminder, all of your temple clergy are here uh, for individual meetings uh, via Zoom and phone calls. Uh, please see your temple as a resource if you are struggling. And we know that this pandemic is hard for everyone, but in different ways. So please, um, even if you know other people who have it harder, don't feel like you need to suffer alone. We're We're here to help. Absolutely. And, yeah, um, please enjoy this conversation with Terry Bonoff.
1: Today is a very exciting podcast day because we are joined by Terry Bonoff, Lauren, who is the CEO of the Jewish Family and Career Service here in uh, Atlanta, one of Atlanta's great uh, organizations, not just Jewish organizations, but service organizations. Uh, and, uh, Terry, uh, comes to us, uh, with like an amazing background, both in business and in politics to now run this great social service agency.
0: Well, I imagine it takes a bit of both in
1: order to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's like the perfect combination. Well, Sarah, tell
0: us about you. How did how did you come to this uh, this role in our community, for which we are so grateful, and we're so excited you're part of our temple community as well. So, so well, tell us the story. Thank
2: you very much for having me. I'm just so excited to be with you both today, and to be a part of the temple community and the Atlanta Jewish community. And I have been so warmly welcomed, and that has really been a gift. So I. I came here in a very odd circuitous way. I have, I'm, first of all, I'm a third generation Minnesotan and I've met so many Atlantans that can say the same about their families. And I know that we all take great pride in that heritage. And so when my husband said to me five years ago, ah, oh, you know, I really want to take this job for Delta Airlines, only we're gonna have to live in Atlanta. And I I laughed I actually burst out laughing. I, I was a state senator. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? I was a state senator at the time. This was um, in 2015. And I joined the state senate in 2005. I was certain that I was going to keep doing this until I was going to make a run for governor. And I was going to do this and do that. And I loved my life. And I was like, are you crazy? And, and then he said, no, he really wasn't. Crazy! that was really what he wanted to do and so we began this family journey and the funny thing is my kids were instantly on board with him they said this is fantastic we can fly anywhere and we can go anywhere and what an adventure and mom you're always fine I mean no matter what you land on your feet I was like you guys this isn't funny like I don't know what you're so um, Shortly thereafter, you know, because we are a very, very close and united family. And I started thinking about how my husband had been there for every parade and done every fundraiser and passed out stickers. And who was I to say his last dream and his career wasn't that thing we ought to get behind. So I eventually just threw up my hands and said, OK, let's do it. And so I, I stepped down from the state Senate and there was um a stipulation at that time that all senior executives families had to live in Atlanta, which is why we had the conversation because my husband really could have said and would have said, hey, you keep doing what you're doing, we'll find a way to make this work, but that wasn't an option. So I did step down and then the um, the CEO of Delta retired, the new CEO came and, and was really much more open about you know where people lived. And so I did, I have to confess, did one last gasp run for congress in a very kind of last minute way sort of way that didn't work out and so then i became open to all right my destiny is to live with my husband and the funny thing on a parallel path is my college roommate who lives in new york city sent me a posting for this job at jfncs And said, what do you think? And I was like, oh my gosh. First of all, I was very connected to the JFCS in Minnesota. I'd actually gotten awards from the Jewish community for the support I had brought from the state of Minnesota to the JFNCS to support programs that served young children. And so when this opened up, I thought this actually might be perfect because I can continue work that I'm passionate about. I can do it from a different perch, you know, instead of Drafting legislation, I would be on the ground actually, you know, trying what it is we say works, and I would have a chance to to make this new community a home and so I put myself in the running. I wasn't sure they would accept it I was kind of a non traditional candidate never having worked in a nonprofit before and you know they I really take my hat off to them because they saw the potential they saw that we could do good things together and they gave me that opportunity.
1: And and how blessed we are that you're here. You have made such a difference uh, since your uh, 2019, right? When you came?
2: Yep, 2019. So it took me a while to come. My husband did a lot of, you know, commuting and I came back and forth. And I did do a project in Atlanta for a year prior to taking this job. I don't know if you knew that, but I worked with purpose-built schools in Georgia Tech where I brought um, an internship program for the Carver High School students' um, industry internships. When you think about um, lessons
0: from being in politics and serving in the state legislature to your role now, what are some of the similarities?
2: A lot of similarities, actually, because, um, but I always have to take a step back and say, it starts with lessons that I learned from my dad, because my family had a chain of high fashion women's clothing stores that I grew up in. And so I learned from day one that everybody's a customer and everybody walks in the door. My dad would always say the customer's always right. I don't care what they say. They're always right. And, and, and he always treated all of our staff, the employees, like they were our extended family. So when I went to the legislature, I now had, you know, 60,000 customers and I treated everybody like they were part of my family. And and I so that's what I credit my dad. But then when I came to Jeff and CS, I brought that same approach that every donor, every client we serve, every member of my staff are in essence now my constituents and that it's about understanding, you know, what is their point of view What is it they need in order to live to their full potential based on the role that they greet me with, whether they're greeting me with the role as client, as staff member, as donor. And we each have different roles to play. And so it's really about celebrating that uniqueness and giving people platforms to to fulfill their own leadership potential. I come from that place where I do believe leadership is within each of us. And that we are called to lead in wherever we land up.
1: It, it's nice to hear someone talk about uh, politics. You know, we're used to hearing about dirty politics, and and the way that that you've been able to approach that and and apply it to everything that you do is is it's a, it's a breath of fresh air. So, uh, thank you for for that. And it, you know, we try to apply the same principles here at the temple uh, that about. Uh, Everything that we that that you've learned from business and uh, about relationships and about those relationships mattering. There's um, you know there's a lot that. Uh, the Lauren and I want to talk about with you today about everything that's going on in the world and uh, but probably a good place to begin is with COVID and um, how COVID has impacted our community and uh, what the agency has done uh, to help members of the community during arguably the most difficult year any of us can remember.
2: Yeah, so it it has, you know, like every community, it has hit our community incredibly hard. And from day one, we knew that everything we had been doing, we'd be called on to be doing in an exponentially greater way. And so we had to just get prepared and be prepared on day one. And we did that. So it starts with um, the basics, you know, you always begin with food, you know, enough money for rent and we start there. And so we really ramped up our emergency financial assistance. We ramped up our ability to deliver food. And I say, we very loosely because while we had to staff up to do it, the resources came so generously flowing through from the community. We never had to worry about, will we have the money? We just had to figure out the systems about how to get the money into the hands of the people who needed it. And then it's so important when you give people help that you don't just give it to them and walk away because then that's gone and they're going to be back next week saying, I need more help. So you have to be their partner, stand beside them and see what do they need to be back to self-sufficiency. So those were our early days, was a strong focus on making sure that we could meet the demands in terms of money, food and help. So that when people lost jobs, they had a way to get back on their feet. And then part two came. And part two, I think we're just beginning to see the, the depth and the strength of what's gonna come at us. And that is the mental health challenge. Because you know, living in isolation, in fear, in the middle of complete civic unrest and you know, diplomatic meltdown. Um, watching. So every person who's in the middle of this COVID, you know, they're hit from so many different angles. They're hit personally, like, can they see their children? Can they see their parents? Who are they worried about? Who's sick? Who in their life have they lost? And then they're looking at all that through this kind of news prism of um, the numbers are going up, the cases are going up, what we're doing isn't working, the vaccines aren't coming. So all of that is like this 24-7 dissonant news cycle, and so the levels of anxiety and fear and depression are really just palpable. And so as a safety net organization with a key focus on supporting the mental health and well-being of the community, we have really been charged to find ways to address that.
0: Amazing. And when if people are listening and they're saying wow okay you've mentioned things that I need help with especially in this part two of the pandemic um, what what does that look like if they if they call up or if they were to go to the website what would they see what would they hear
2: Well, I hope they'd see an easy way to get access. You know, we have a phone number if you need mental health support. We have um, a website, you know, address to go to jfcsatl.org. We have if you need food, if you need this. But with regard to mental health, we have an intake specialist. They would call, they would share their story, and we would pair them with the appropriate person. We had we had 20 clinicians when this all started. We've actually added four clinicians since COVID began. We were doing 150 sessions a week. We're doing 278 sessions. We've done close to 10,000 individual sessions. That's amazing. Right now we're hiring somebody new because we are at capacity. Peter, you recommended somebody to us and I don't know if you know, but we've hired her. Um, That person that, that you introduced us to is now gonna do a project that we have in partnership with Hillel because Hillel rightfully is very concerned about their college students and their mental health. So we've been able to get a Federation grant and to hire somebody who can just focus two days a week on those college students. So, you know, we have groups for parents. We have um, ways to help teens. In every single um, area, we have targeted people who can be of service we don't do everything if you're really acute and you need hospitalization we refer you out if you if your child is in such despair that you need intensive outpatient therapy we're going to refer you to say the berman center or Skyland trail that isn't our sweet spot
0: i think uh, sorry so um you know I think that people have some perceptions about JFNCS, it's only for Jews, it only does this. What um, What are a few things that the JFNCS can do that people might not automatically think to go there for?
2: Yeah, so that's an interesting question about the Jewish, not Jewish. So we, our mission is to be guided by Jewish values and to serve the broader community as well. So we start with saying we're going to address the needs of the Jewish community and the broader community. We do start at our core mission, which is the Jewish community. But in every service area, we have a a certain percentage of both. So in clinical practice, for example, 60% of the people we see are Jewish, 40% are not. We looked at um, our recent numbers uh, with emergency financial assistance. It's almost 50, 50 in the pantry. It's 80% non-Jewish, 20% Jewish. And so then you say, well, you Jeff and CS. Is that appropriate? Only 20%. But if we've served 10,000 people since COVID started with, you know, serving food, 200 Jewish people, there's a lot of people to be providing food for. So it's, It's part of our mission to to make sure we address the needs in the Jewish community and yet to serve the broader community. Another um, misperception is that some people think that we're just for people who can't afford to go private. You know, that some people think, well, if I have resources, why would I bring my child to Jeff and CS when I could go to a private psychologist or, you know, a private practice? And what I would say there, is that we have the best, you know, our clinicians. I put them up against anybody, and we have um, all the protections around privacy. We have a different entrance. It's a welcoming place for everybody.
1: When, <clears throat> getting back to the to the first point about uh, diversity, I, I was on the board of JFCS uh, a, a couple of years ago, and uh, one of the things that I was charged with doing is. Uh, Opening up the board so that um, it wasn't an all-Jewish board, and something I was actually really proud of, um, the work that we did, um, uh, and I loved serving on the board. It's such a healthy, phenomenal organization.
2: Well, thank you, and I, and that work is really important. And that work you did earned us an award from the Community Foundation because they were unwilling to give us like the top award of nonprofits unless we did that work. And then because of your efforts and the efforts of the board, then we did um, get that award the next year.
1: It was a fun fun board assignment. Uh, 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 So you just received a big gift from the uh, 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 Bunzel family, uh, which is of course all over the newspaper. And uh, what are you gonna do? It's a large bequest um, and it will allow you to do something really unique.
2: Yeah, so we are um, approaching it differently than the Federation in that we have a foundation that we're trying to build as an endowment so that 10 years from now, when the the oldest, most generous philanthropists are no longer with us, and that next generation of young people may not have the same kind of disposable income to be able to continue to give philanthropically or or their habits may not be the same, we wanna have an endowment that's strong enough to give us operational support year after year. And so we have a gift policy that says, unless a donation is restricted, any endowment over a million dollars goes right into that foundation where it will be joined with all of our other um, endowment funds to generate a small percentage of operational support year over year. So that's where that money's gonna go but then in honor of the sizable gift, because it increased our foundation by 50%. In one instant, we had a $5.6 million endowment, and then we, we got an additional $2.8 million estate. So um, that's phenomenal and monumental. So because of the importance that we um, believe in shining a spotlight on mental health, we have named our clinical practice in honor of Francis Bunzel. So it's not that that endowment funds our clinical practice, rather, we're naming it in honor of that incredible gap. So the Francis Bunzel clinical services.
0: Beautiful, beautiful and amazing. Um, I think all Jewish organizations uh, here in Atlanta and everywhere are starting to see the horizon of the pandemic coming to an end, or at least to a place where we are less distant and less restricted. So, when you start to think out to that point and beyond, what are some of the things that you're thinking about and dreaming about for JFNCF?
2: Well, uh, that's a great question, and and first, let's just say a prayer that that what your words <laughs> ring true, right? Because I'm not certain quite yet about this, you know, pandemic coming to an well, end. Peter and I are people of, uh, you know, we, we have to be people of faith. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you are. And, and I'm generally the most optimistic person. And my husband, like you, talks about that it's going to come to an end. And I say to him, you know, I'm, I'm quite concerned. And I'm concerned really because the pace at which we're vaccinating people, I'm afraid is lagging behind the pace of the Fervor of this variant, you know, new strain that that we don't seem to have our arms around, and so uh, that's kind of a dance. And so, putting that aside, putting that aside. But I just had I to, to tell you.
0: Mr. Lenz,
2: thank okay, you. Um, and we're doing this, by the way, um, with or without the pandemic ending. We are going all in on making sure Jeff and Sias is prepared. To not just meet the needs of today, but envisioning what the future looks like when it comes to the youngest children, children, teens, tweens, and their families' well-being. So, if you think about, um, there was a time I know when my kids were growing up, it was all about you know, what does your child have? Is it ADD? Is it this? Is it that? You know, and there are a lot of labeling going on, right? And so we are coming from a place of all children are healthy and have obstacles to their experience of well-being. And so, you know, I'm not being naive. Listen, I know each of our kids has their challenges, but I think it's really important from starting from a place of well-being and working backwards. And so we have done extensive research around what are the best practices to take those obstacles away that are in the paths of, You know, children and their families experience to health and well being and we're investing in adding clinicians adding best practice modalities, having a true focus and creating a center for the health and well being of children and their families and so we've started. um, We've actually we're doing this incrementally we've added four clinicians that serve in this area. Um, We're just about to take two of our clinicians and they're going to be in an intensive 18 month program to be trained to support the, you know, birth to three. Um, We're going to start a new group for parents of young children. And we are going to make sure that we be conveners around this issue. One of the things that we're most concerned about right now is um, the the fear around youth and suicide you know unfortunately that kids they can't see that you know six months from now it won't be so bleak and this day after day of being um, without their friends of getting ridiculed on social media because that's all they've got I mean it's really frightening and so we all as the community have to put our arms around these kids and and do anything we can to strengthen their resilience. Well,
1: all the teens and parents who are listening, you have rabbis and, and clinicians and social workers who are here uh, here to help you. Please reach out to us at, at any time. Um, that's such an important work that you do. Uh, I guess one last question that we wanted to ask you is about the aging community. Uh, Atlanta's uh, community, well, the whole United States of America is aging at a, at a rapid rate. And the question is, of course, um, what services uh, will be available, not only uh, to those who are aging, but to their uh, adult children. Uh, and I know that our Jewish community has come together in a strong way to work on this. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So um, first, we have this great collaboration and partnership among sister agencies. We've got um, the... Jewish Home Life as a partner, Jewish Family and Career Services, MJCCA, the um, and the Federation have created this entity called AgeWell, which many have heard about. AgeWell is a point of entry. So if you're wondering what to do with your mom who suddenly shows signs of having dementia, or if you're thinking that maybe your parents should think about moving out of their house, you just call one eight six six AgeWell and one person will send you to maybe to the Jewish home life because it's about housing or if it's needing geriatric care management or a case manager, that's something that we at Jeff and CS provide in our Aviv older adult service area. We have, um, while we focus on the the young children, the mental health, the other pillar, one of our other pillars is our support for seniors. And, um, I can just tell you, you know, a quick story. I got a call from a CEO of JFS St. Louis a week ago, and her family there had adult parents here in trouble. She contacted me, they contacted Agewell, and I got a note back saying now they have somebody who can help. So we have dementia services. If you're taking care of a parent and you need a break, we have respite care where we have somebody who can go in and relieve you. So we offer quite a bit in the area of senior care and especially important that we do it in partnership. And this community has been very generous to support this innovative approach that we borrowed from some other cities.
1: It's a great approach and it's working really well. Thank you.
0: I mean, we Terry, we cannot thank you enough for I, I could listen to you all day. Um, first of all, I love the Minnesota accent, but even <laughs> more
1: how so much better than the than my New Jersey accent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just the passion and what people can't see is just how you're smiling and you are just um, lit up with with so much energy around this. And our community truly is is the beneficiary of your leadership. And I know there is a whole team that is working to to serve our community in this way. So to you, and by extension to all who are serving our community and CS, thank you
2: for all you. Well, do. thank you. And I am such a huge fan of the temple and for what you provide for this entire community, our nation and our world. And yes, I have a tremendous staff. So <laughs> you may be talking to me, but you're talking to the whole group. Thank you so much
0: for being with us today. Thank
2: you, Terry. And thank you to Rabbi Rao for serving on our board and doing such a great job.
1: Great. Awesome. <laughs> right? Well, that was fun. It, you know, I, I always have the sense that uh, people don't know about all the agencies and organizations uh, that do such good work in our community. And, you know, Terry could sell anything to anyone.
0: <laughs> it's true. But the way that she was talking about it, I, I, it's inspiring because instead of seeing it as um, focusing on all of the problems that need to be fixed, she's talking about it purely from opportunity standpoints and, and really a sense of we can, if we work together, meet the needs of our community. It's so exciting.
1: Absolutely. It is fun to see a, a great leader in place um, and a part of our Temple family too.
0: Speaking of great leaders, we should share who we have coming next week
1: next week we have the president of the union for reform judaism rabbi rick jacobs uh and uh, it's exciting he, he is uh, already uh, reached out to me a couple times so he's excited about our podcast and to to be a part of it
0: well i feel like we're we're moving up in the world by having uh, the president of the urj but really it's because he's friends with you so it's good to know peter Berg. <laughs> and
1: I, think, and I think it'll be interesting to hear about the direction of our movement and Um,
0: uh. absolutely we're gonna have a great conversation and so we invite everyone to tune in again next week and um, as always send us your questions or ideas to podcast at the-temple.org we're excited to hear your ideas and questions for future episodes and thank you again for joining us for another episode of the podcast from the temple
1: where we inspire lives
0: and transform our world